Welcome to the Next Gen Podcast. Stepping up to the microphone are your hosts, Bryson Wright and Alex Winton. They got next, so let's get to the show. Hello and welcome into the Next Gen Podcast here on the Bluff City Media Podcast Network. As always, I'm your host, Bryson Wright, and I'm joined by my guy, Alex Winton. And we were going to start this with the Kenneth Lofton Jr. 42-point game, which we are definitely still going to talk about that. But we're going to move that to segment number two because we got to talk about this agenda that's being pushed right now. Uh, If you haven't seen right now, I mean, it's only like let's before we get into this, we got to keep in mind not all the votes are in. I think they said it's like 7% of the votes, and there's a couple votes they haven't counted yet, all that. But as of now, based on the votes that we know of, Evan Mobley is leading the defensive player of the year vote, which, like, I'll, before a Cavs fan, like, comes on this video and comes out here and it's like, hey, look, 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 uh, hey, oh, they're hating on Evan Mobley, all this. I think Evan Mobley is a really, really good player, and he's a great defender, and he's going to be, like, like – He's had he like to say that he doesn't have a case, like maybe you could say he has like a case, but I would say his case is probably the third best case in the NBA for it. Right now, if you have him third and you think he should be top three, I have no problem with that. But I think that Jaron Jackson Jr. and even Brooke Lopez, like I would, I would at least if you want to consider somebody because at least Brooke Lopez played more games and then has more blocks like he doesn't have more blocks per game but it's like Evan Mobley played less than Jaron and in the minutes he played like Jaron had more blocks and more steals he has a better defensive rating the Grizzlies defense is better with him on the court than the Cavs defense is when Mobley's on the court, even though the Cavs do have the best defense in the NBA. So, yeah, it's it's been kind of nasty, though, to kind of see this agenda that's being pushed against Jaron right now. Yeah, man. So I, I saw this while I was at work. And, man, I mean, obviously, like you said, let's not – again, we're not going to overreact because it's just a couple votes. They don't have all the votes in. Like, it's – it's a lot more votes to be had, and who knows if it's accurate. Like, who knows, right? But, you know, you have a good idea because people said this stuff about it. And, man, it's just crazy to me because I, I don't know. If, if people tell me if I'm wrong, like, hit me up in my mentions. But I don't think I've seen a case like this where they try to not justify somebody's DPOY case as much as Jared. I haven't seen it because I'm going to bring it up. So shout out to our, our boy Cole, you as we know, in our, in our little group chat, Grizz Twitter. He posted this today. I was going to talk about it, and he already really gave me it. Rudy Gobert in 2017-18 won defense player of the year, right? Won it, and he only played 56 games. And then he had, what, 3.1 stocks. I'm looking at it. I think 3.5 defensive win shares. They were a fifth seed. They had the number one defense. And um, he held his opponents to 10 worse, you know, field goal percentage when he was defending them. And then you look at that compared to Jaren's stats this year. Jaren played 63 games, had four point four four stocks a game, 3.8 defensive win shares, had more wins. They were second seed, number two defense, and he basically held his opponents to the same field goal percentage, 9.7, so basically 10. And he and Rudy Gobert won defense play of the year. And then if you go to compare their minutes year by year or that same season compared to this season, Rudy Gobert only played 29 more minutes and still won defense play of the year. But – all I'm hearing and all I'm seeing from everybody in the national media is Jaren didn't play enough games. 
or Jaren didn't play enough minutes. Like, like it's not it's not adding up. It's not adding up in any type of way. Because I would get if it was like like you said, if it was Brooke. Like I would get it. Like he's been consistent most of the year. But it, to me, it feels like Evan Mobley, who again, like you said, great player. I love Evan Mobley. One of my favorites in that draft class. It just seems like he's getting rewarded for one or two crazy weeks of basketball play. Like he was going crazy in the last couple of weeks. But we don't like you. It's usually a body of work, not two weeks of worse of work. You know, like it's not just two weeks and then oh, we can just give awards out. And then that's how it feels. I'm not saying this, that he shouldn't be considered. He's been good defensively. But my thing is, if you're going to make a case, this should have been made a case a long time ago. And even if you do make a case, it's not necessarily better than Jaren's. The numbers back it up. It's not. Like, there's only a couple stats where it do back it up. And so, to me, this just feels crazy if it does happen. And, again, we'll see how it goes. But, man, like I always say, with the Brook and Jaren thing, Brook is part of the defense. Jaren is the defense. Like, on and off numbers, it showed it. It showed it. And you're penalizing a guy for missing an injury that requires surgery. And he came back faster from that surgery than most people usually do. And from basically game one, even though he wasn't scoring them all, game one he had like seven blocks. So from that point on to the end of the season, he was good. Top, like, so what are we doing, man? I don't – oh, my goodness. You can go, man, but I got more, but you go ahead and oh – No, nah, no, nah, oh we'll go God, ahead. We'll, like, we, we can keep That's it going. That's crazy. That's crazy to me, man. Yeah, it, it, it is kind of crazy. And like, and it would be one thing if, like, I don't even know. When you look at all the stats and you look at, I mean, he's leading the league in blocks. I know that he led the lead in blocks last year, too, or led the league in blocks last year and didn't win it. But I feel like the rest of the body of work this year is better than what he did last year. And people For are sure. going to bring up, th- this is the other thing that I'll talk about in minutes, right? Is people are going to say the reason why the minutes thing is a problem is because of fouls. And I'm not going to say that Jaron doesn't foul too much because he definitely does. But Jaron fouling is not the reason why he only plays 28 minutes a game. The reason he only plays 28 minutes a game is because he was on a minutes restriction when he first came back. And the other reason is Taylor Jenkins does not play his stars a lot of minutes in the regular season just like anyway. John Morant and Desmond Bain are like 61st and 62nd in minutes per game this season and they led the Grizzlies in minutes per game Jaron was fourth uh behind Dylan Brooks as well Dylan Brooks played more minutes per game than Jaron did this year but the other thing is it's not like he's playing like 18 minutes a game like he is playing 28 minutes a game like it, it that's not a small amount right and I get that you know Mobley has played more but how does playing more and then having less of an impact mean that you're better. You know what I mean? Like, all that shows to yeah. me, right? So if Evan Mobley played a 1,000 more minutes than Jaron Jackson Jr. this season and blocked 70 less shots, how is Evan Mobley a better rim protector or a better defender than Jaron? Oh, well, you can say, I, I like, the one thing I will give Evan Mobley, if you're talking about he has contested more shots on the perimeter, that is the truth. He has contested more shots on the perimeter, but the reason why he's contested more shots in the perimeter is because that's what they are asking him to do on the defense. Like that is something that the Cavs need him to do. For the Grizzlies, the main thing that they need him to do is worry about protecting the rim, and that's what he's done better than anybody else in the entire NBA this season. And then when he does get on switches, I mean, we've seen him get a switch on Steph Curry 
and get a block out of it. We've seen him get a switch on Kyrie, push him into the help defense with Desmond Bain and get a stop on him with the game on the line. So it's not like, oh, well, Evan Mobley, you know, he's just way better as a perimeter defender. It's not the case. Like, I would say that he, like, Evan Mobley, I'll give you that in terms of the stats and everything, like, he has done more on the perimeter than Jaron has, but what he's done on the perimeter is not the same as having 70 more blocks, having one of the best, in terms of block percentage, one of the best seasons in the history of the NBA. Uh, He's at 9.6% right now on his block percentage. The only person in the history of the NBA that had more than 10%, which is just a little bit more than him, is Manute Bowl. And that man was like 7'8". So basically, he's the only person, like he's the like the only other person that has had a better block percentage season than Jaron is like seven inches taller than him. And it's just, it's crazy to think that there are so many people that are trying to discredit this. And I don't know, I don't know if it's just because like of the general kind of grizzlies hate that we've kind of seen like this year if that's one reason uh because i because people have been kind of celebrating like oh yeah like yeah we don't need jaron to get that award you know grizzlies don't need to get award so i don't know not to say that that's the only reason and i do see like i said evan mobley brooke lopez both really good players both had really good seasons i don't want this to be taken out of context like they didn't have good seasons and if jaron jackson jr didn't exist then, oh, sure, Brooke Lopez, yeah, you can win defense player of the year. Like, if Jared, oh, yeah, Evan Mobley, okay. But the the last thing that I'll say, too, is that before Jaron came back, the Grizzlies were 20th in defensive rating. Since he came back, they're third. And when he's on the court, they have basically the best defensive rating in the NBA. So that take that as you will. Right, they're yeah, yeah. the best defense in the NBA when he's on the court, and far from it when he's not. Yeah, no, and bro, and I, I last thing, it's funny you talk about uh, the people he switched on. He switched on the uh, Garland and blocked him in that same game when at home when we, when we beat him. Uh, and also, I had another stat that I looked. I forgot to mention this because Jeremy, you talk about his blocks and stuff. He's averaging he's because I think who was it? Tim? Yeah, it was Tim Tim McMahon, the one that covers the Mavs. He talked about it. Basically, bro, Jaron averages three blocks a game and one steal a game. And basically, since defensive player of the year has been awarded, there's only five other people to do that. Ben Wallace, or yeah, with top five defenses. It's like Ben, Hakeem, and David Robson. Like, that's it. Like, it's only those three or those four guys. And those tri- and you know, like, and you know how many defensive player of the year they won. Yeah. yeah. Like, that's historic. And, and so for me, it's hard to say. That type of stat, now I'm not saying that's the only stat. Again, it's more than just blocks and steals. But obviously that matters because it's a big man award. It's like that's just unprecedented stuff. And I understand that he has some outliers in his case with the minutes and with the fouls that go against certain things. Like I think if he won, he'd be the lowest person to win it, like minutes wise, since like Rodman. But even then, Rodman's a Hall of Famer and he won like two or three of them. So what are we doing? Mm-hmm. Like, come on, man. Come on, man. Come on, man. Like, and again, we I know it sounds like we're biased because we're a Grizz podcast, but no. Trust me, I'm objective. I'm I love my team, but I'm gonna be objective. I'm gonna be real about my team. I'm not gonna make this case. Yeah, maybe do I watch them a little bit more than most people? Yeah, for sure. So I know a little bit more, but I'm being objective. It's hard for me to say, especially like I said, with somebody like Mobley. And I get Mobley is great defensively, but just come out of the woodworks, like 
literally, like, I know sports books don't mean a lot usually, but like eight days ago, he's plus 5,000, like, on the sports books. Like, it, like, this would be unprecedented stuff. Like, this, this would be crazy, man. So, yeah, I, I mean, obviously, I hope he gets it because we'll probably get it soon because I forgot that, like, defensive player of the year is like, probably the first award they announced. Usually, like, last mm-hmm. year, last year, they announced it around this time. So, probably maybe within a week. We can have two. Maybe, maybe by the next time we record this, we'll know. Yeah, like, I think yeah. by the next time we record this, we might know. Yeah, so hopefully we'll know, and I mean, hopefully we got some good results. But you know, oh my goodness, yeah, that's all I got, man. Just man, get yeah. that man, get that man the award, man. What are we doing, man? I'll Come also on, say man. this. I'll also say this is we do know Kevin O'Connor said a couple weeks ago that he was voting for Jaron first. Uh, whenever the mismatch podcast came to Memphis, uh, he talked to Jaron about it. Uh, he said he was voting for Jaron. Uh, he still actually has to do it. Maybe he's changed his mind since then. I think that was like March 24th. But if he's changed his mind since then, that would be kind of surprising. So, I, you know, there are more national people that are going to be voting for Jaron. We know that he still probably has a pretty good chance to get it. It's just been crazy to kind of see. It's like, And this is the other thing. I think that something that I saw is that they said most of the people that release their votes are releasing their votes to try to get clicks. So they might vote for Evan Mobley and be like, Evan Mobley's defensive player of the year just to get more people talking about it, right? So, and just to get their name out there more, which that could be the case. But the people that don't release their votes are usually the people that are just trying to vote based on merit and all that. Uh, But before we do kind of finish, like while we're on this award ceremony kind of thing and talk about who can get some awards, Jaren's the only one that's going to get a major award. Uh, But we still have all NBA and all defensive teams that we got to talk about. And there's, th- I would say there's three players that have a chance on the Grizzlies to make a team, right? Ja and Jaron both both have a shot to make probably third team All-NBA. I don't think Ja would make first or second just because of the games he missed and everything. Honestly, I don't think Ja's going to make All-NBA. Like, I don't think he's going to make it. J- like, And I think that Jaron probably has a better case than Ja just because I think that people are going to penalize Ja for games missed and then also he missed nine of those games not because of an injury just because of a suspension so I think that's going to be the big thing I think that if if Ja had the same stats and he had missed those games because of an injury or something that was out of his control I think that they probably would have had him as either second or third team all nba because it felt like before before this before that situation he was going to be like second or third team regardless and maybe even first team if he had had like a good end to the season but now that you know his stats have been a little bit down because he had to come back he had to sit out a couple more games and stuff like that i don't think he's gonna make it because i've what i did uh over this kind of like last week is i went through on some of the other national podcasts and people that I know that have votes that have been talking about it on their podcast. I listen to the ringer podcast and stuff like that. All these people that are talking about it and all of them mentioned John Morant as like a candidate, but said that the guys they had ahead of them were like Luca Shay. I saw people have De'Aaron Fox ahead of him. Uh, Steph Curry ahead of them. So there, there's like a good amount of like, re- there's a lot of good guards this year. Like Devin Booker uh, is another one, which I know there's been some debate on if he's going to be guard or forward, but like he's a guard. I don't, I don't really care. Like he's a guard. Yeah, like let's guard. let's not do that. 
It's like, oh, he plays like this percentage of his minutes at four. I don't care, bro. Devin Booker's a shooting guard, right? Like, that's just the way I see it. And then Dame, too. Like, Dame had a great season. And I know that it's going to be kind of weird because Dame and Luka aren't in the playoffs. Shea may or may not be in the playoffs. But when you look at, like, their stats and then, like, their full body of work, I do think that they're going to put all those guys I just mentioned ahead of Ja in terms of All-NBA. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, and, again, like I said with the Ja thing, like, about missing games, like, I'm not going to feel no type of way if he missed again. He made this decision in terms of what happened and transpired. This is on nobody else's but his own fault for missing. I forgot how many, how much money it'll be missing 30, 40 million. I guess the positive to me is that we probably, especially if Jordan doesn't make all NBA and Jaren get defensive player of the year, that probably helps us out. That means they probably going to be locked in when it comes to, to the playoffs. And they probably just going to be like, all right, like I'm going to show you, like, which will help us out. So either way, we're going to win. Either way, there's a positive take out of this, probably, hopefully. But, nah, I mean, with Ja, because, um, I mean, I'm looking at his numbers now. He's still averaging 26, 6, and 8. And like you said, in it, we're not two seed. Usually that's a no-brainer. Yeah, but it would have been a no-brainer. It would have been a yeah. no-brainer. Like, he like he had it in the bag, no question. He definitely had yeah. it in the bag. Yeah, and I'm looking and I'm thinking, like, the only – because I think leaks came out about the All-NBA teams, too, and I think if I remember correctly, it was like, Mitchell, I think Luca, Steph, Fox, and I forgot. I think I'm missing maybe one more. Go Probably on. Dame. Did you say Dame? Yeah, Dame was on there, and yeah. I think they might have Jalen Brown listed as a guard. Maybe. I had mm -hmm. to look at it again. But that was what the leaks was looking like. That's what I saw. And the only person I would say he should really take the spot over to me personally is Damian Lillard, only because I, uh, I think one of, one of my good friends on Twitter said it. You can't like it's hard for me to justify a guy making all NBA team and he sat like the last 10 15 games and Damian Lillard like they were and this is games. yeah like, you know what the, I mean like, yeah 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 and I'll also say the thing about Dame is like it's not his fault that his team wasn't good exactly. but in order like if first team like let's say first team all NBA is Luca and Dame like when has has there ever been a first team all NBA where like both guards weren't in the playoffs, you know, that's, and that's then they're also point. saying Shea, Shea obviously has a chance to make it at least, at least he's in the end. That's the crazy thing too, is that it's not just playoffs. Like he is like Luca and Dame didn't even make the play in tournament. So it's like a whole different. Yeah. It's a whole different kind of scenario than we've ever seen before. When you have so many of these players that would probably make all NBA that are on you know, mediocre or bad teams, right? Yeah. So yeah. It's, just, it's interesting to see how they weigh individual success over team success and how much they penalize Ja for the suspension. Because that's really what it's going to come down to is how much are people going to penalize him for the suspension. Yeah, that too. And I think with to go to shift to Jaren a little bit, like that's what's going to not help him, but also in the forward spot, there's not a lot of forwards for that third team. And depending on how that DPOY thing shakes out, probably has some influence in it. But, I mean, Jaren's averaging like 19, and he averaged 19.73 blocks, shot 50% from the field, 36 from three, like, and your team's a two seed. So, and I'm not saying, like, and again, he probably misses, but he's, like, on the brink because he got the games played because you can't justify who you're going to put there because I think I was having a conversation with my boy um, Zach um, on Twitter. He he has a podcast of his own. Um he was talking about, like, who should he put on his third team? He's talking about, like, Braun or KD. And I'm like, K 
KD only got like 40 some games. Brian got like 50 some yeah, games. Yeah. You know what I mean? These guys are playing teams, so it's like it's hard to justify it. So you got guys like Macau who play like 83 games since averaging like 20 points. Like you got those type of guys on the bubble, so he might be able to make it. Of course, to make a defensive team. I, again, if, I'll tell you this now. If they don't, obviously he's going to make a defensive team. But if there was some wild way he didn't make it to make a defensive team, I'm probably going to be like, okay, what's going on here? I, yeah, I'm like, all right, what are, what are we really doing here? But he he'll make a defensive team. I'm not that I'm not that concerned about that. But like, yeah, like it's just people gotta understand like these awards and all these accolades set up players and like the way, like in terms of the legacy, like 20 years from now, that's what they're gonna be remembered as. Like you're gonna look, they're gonna be looking on basketball reference, but oh, he made this many all-star teams, all NBA teams, and like you just can't be playing with it. Now I understand it's, it's hard decisions to make. But when you got numbers in front of there and you got all this, but then you try to push narratives when the numbers don't back it up, that's where it gets concerned. And that's why people ask about, like, what is the criteria? Even players say, what's the criteria for this? Because it changes every year. Because I simply said it. Rudy Gobert played less games and still won defense play year with a worst team record, all this. What, why are we doing it now? When maybe the dude who years later has a better case than what Rudy Gobert had back then. Like, it's just not consistent. So. It's just crazy, man. That's all I got, man. It's just crazy, man. What they do, yeah. But yeah, so Jaron, like with the defense player of the year thing, we don't know if he's going to get that. He's going to be first team all defense. I will say that. I don't see, there's no way he's not first team all defense, especially because uh, I think it probably is going to end up being him and Mobley, and then they'll put Brooke at center. I think that's probably yeah. what they'll do. Yeah, uh, because Mobley and Jaron both don't play forward. It might, it might have gotten a little bit dicey if they considered him a center. And then you'd have to kind of go because the voting would probably be very similar to DPOI. But I think since he's a forward, he's definitely going to be. There's no, there's no other forwards that have had the same like individual defensive impact that he's had. There's no question about that. So I think he's going to be first team on defense. The other guy that we do have to, if we're talking about like the end of the regular season, season's over. We got to look at Dylan Brooks. Is Dylan oh, yeah. Brooks going to be an All <laughs> NBA defender? And I'll say. I think that he's worthy of at least a second team spot, but I feel like he's going to end up not getting it just because like people don't like him. Like, I feel like Man, he's not going to get it just because like, all, like you got to keep in mind, they're taking the votes from media members across the country. And Dylan Brooks probably talked bad about whatever player they cover uh, right after they played him and all that. So I think that like burning bridges might be the reason why Dylan doesn't make it. But I think statistically, when you think about the matchups that he's had all season, like, and this is the thing about the NBA, like there's going to be some nice where you're going to get got, like he got got a couple times, you know, like Dame has had a good game. Steph had it like, this is going to happen, but Jaren got jumped on. It happens. Exactly. Like, it happens. It's the NBA. Yeah. It's going to happen. Yeah. But I think when you just think about the fact that he's willing every night, to where I will take the best player, whether it's a guard or forward, and sometimes even a center. Like, we got to remember, he guarded Cat, like, last year, too. Like, he has done this to a lot of different kinds of players. And I think when you look at that kind of positional versatility on the defensive end, I think that in today's NBA, that's, like, probably – I, that might be the most important thing you need on defense is ability to guard as many positions as possible. And – on most teams, Dylan can guard one through four. On some teams, he can guard one through five. 
which is not something that's common. So that's why I think he has to be at least worthy of an all defensive spot. Yeah, no, listen, we get we get frustrated with Dylan's play sometimes offensively and shot decision decision making. Personally, me, I'm probably at number one of the list. I'm always gonna be number one of the list, just for plenty of reasons. I'm I'm always give that criticism. But but I will give him credit for this. He does play defense. And again, he does make a difference. Now, granted, Jaron is the defense. But having a guy like Dylan Brooks that can that can help him on the defensive end, at the, especially at the point of attack, does help out a lot to sure up this defense because I'm pretty – I don't know, earlier in the year, their numbers together as a, like, defensive duo was – like, their defensive rating was kind of crazy. It's like maybe like 105, 104. Like, it was kind of nuts. Like, I was like, okay. Like, so – and so, like, it's going to be a big reason why they win in the playoffs. We'll get to it a little bit in a few minutes, obviously, but it's going to be a big reason why they're going to – should or should if as long as they both stay out of foul trouble, there's gonna be a reason why they're gonna like they're gonna shift games just by the way they defend, like because they both of them are unique at their positions in terms of their versatility and obviously being able to switch. But you know what I mean? Like they're just they're 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 them on the defensive end. So yeah, Dylan should definitely probably should make a defense team if you take away just bias and narrative and all that away. But what it seems like with the Grizzlies, I'm not gonna say it's all narrative, but it's hard for me not to believe and not feel like, dang, like this is some narrative or or something. There's some agenda. It just feels that way. I'm not saying it is, but it's hard for me to look at this stuff and not feel like it is or, or isn't. For sure, <laughs> uh, but kind of we do have to move on from like kind of this and talk about what actually happened in the games last week. We're gonna focus on mostly that last game. Uh, the last game of the season. I know that a lot of people probably didn't watch that game because of who was out. They, Grizzlies only played six players. But of those six players that played, I got to highlight, first of all, Kenneth Lofton Jr. Because 42 and 14, he had the best like for first starts ever. Shout out Sean, my guy Sean Coleman, also on here on Bluff City Media. Yeah, shout out to had Sean. The best, the best first start by a rookie since they started tracking starts in 1970, right? And I did a lot of research, and I, like, since there's so many games, it was really hard to find this. The only player that I found, now there could, not I will say there could have been another one, but I did research for a minute, and the only player that I saw that had more points in his first ever game as a starter was Wilt, because he had 43 so Wilt had one more in his first start than Kenneth Lofton Jr. had. Listen, if you come within a one of Wilt, you good, man. You good. If you if you within one of Wilt Chamberlain on a scoring record, you should be sleeping extremely well that night. So, like, that's just to put into context the level of play that we saw. And it's really crazy to think about because – I think this is something, not to say that he was going to go out and have 42 points a night or something crazy like that, but when you look at the ways that he's scoring, and obviously the Thunder, OKC Blue, whatever, ah, he was playing a G League team. He's a, he's a G League player. He's been in the G League all season, right? And it's like, <laughs> he had to, it's, it's just crazy to think about the fact that that man came out there in his first ever start, regardless of the situation, and put up 42 and 14 
on 17 out of 25 field goal shooting. This is the other thing I'll say right now. Coming into the season, if I told you that Kenneth Lofton Jr. would have more 40-point games than James Harden, you would have called me a maniac. But it's the truth. It happened. <laughs> so, if you – look, listen. Now, I don't know what he's going to do in the playoffs. I don't know what they're going to do with Kenneth Lofton Jr. when it comes down to the playoffs. He is now going to be eligible to play in the playoffs. I think that based on the body of work when he has played and the deficiencies the Grizzlies have, mostly going to be on the boards with no Steven Adams, and they really need another interior presence with Jaron to help him a lot, I think that Lofton is going to get a good amount of run in the playoffs. And I think he's he's earned it. Right, I think he's definitely earned it when you look at the way he's played when he has played. Uh, the other two guys that I was really watching in that last game, though, was also Zaire Williams and David Roddy, who also played really good. So those three guys, those are really the three guys that I looked at in that game. Uh, Roddy and Lofton are probably going to have the biggest effect on the rest of the season. Zaire is like kind of like the X factor of like he might get thrown in there. I feel like the reason he hasn't played most of this year isn't because of an ability. It's not because of ability. I feel like it's mostly because of injuries. He's never been in a rhythm. I think he's lost a little bit of that confidence he had last year. And I think that he plays much better with the starters than with the bench. Like he's not great when he comes off the bench. And I think that's something that we saw last year. He really blossomed whenever Dylan wasn't playing and he got to play with Ja and Dez and Jaron and all those guys. And when he doesn't do that, it's a little bit more difficult for him. But yeah, don't, but all three of them had a really good game in that last game, and I think it's something they can build on at this the most important part of the season. Yeah, um, I just I think again I'm a, let me we're gonna start with Kenny because I feel like people think I don't like Kenneth Lofton. <laughs> it is not that it, people think I don't like him because earlier in the year, right? I remember, and obviously you know we got like our boys like EJ and. I'm trying to think of who else pushes the Kenny Lofton. But there's a lot of people that do. Like, they like Kenny. And a lot of it, it comes from, no, they they won't, even though they might not say it, it comes from nostalgia. He plays a little bit like Zach. So they see somebody playing like Zach. Like, you want to give, you want him, you want him to do good. Like, I get it. And I've never questioned Kenny in terms of his talent, right? Like, I always thought he's a really good offensive player. My problems have always been more so the defensive end. And obviously, rebounding, he can rebound. But obviously, at an NBA level, because he's undersized somewhat in terms of like six, like, when, you know, like measurables, not size himself, but like measurables, like, and who was going to guard and can he play on the floor of the offense? And so that was really my questions. And so people were talking about like our early struggles, like, man, throw Lofton out there. And I'm just like, that's not going to really solve your issues. And also we were healthy. It wasn't like we didn't have like Santi, Jaron, BC, like we front court was healthy. And I was like, the only way he really going to play is if we're hurt. Well, here we are. And so, you know, he had to play, and I'll give Jenkins credit on this. Outside of maybe, like, one time during the Spurs game, Jenkins has been very good with knowing who Lofton needs to play with to cover up for his deficiency. So, for example, he usually plays a lot of minutes with Jaron. Now, to be fair, any big with Jaron's probably you're going to have a plus positive net rating or whatever, but that's probably the ideal guy he needs to play with because he doesn't have to really – he you know, Jaron can cover up for some of the defensive mistakes he might make. And then Lofton can obviously take advantage of the defense focusing on Jaron, whether that's like, you know, you know, they're focusing on him and he can just get a real quick cleanup, you know, put back, stuff like that. So I do think Lofton is going to play some minutes. Now, how many minutes? It just depends. Is Jaron going to be in foul trouble? 
Is Santi going to be available? Because, you know, I know he's doubtful, but, I mean, we're a week away, but who knows if he's going to play because, again, I mean, Ja had to think. Now, obviously, Ja should play, but you know what I'm saying? Like, a lot is up in the air, especially with that Santi elbow. It looked nasty. So, when you put all that into consideration, like, he probably is going to play. Now, how much he'll play, I have no idea. Like, it, it could play, like, five minutes. He could play, like, 15 minutes. It really just depends on the matchup. The game, the situation, all that matters in the playoffs. Like we saw last year where Melton didn't play, I think, the first series, but then he came back in the Golden State series. And play, like it's just going to be game by game basis. But I do expect Lofton to probably get some minutes. And again, he might be able to swing a game because you're going to need role players. Obviously, your best players got to play their best. You need a little bit of luck, but you need your role players. Certain games are going to swing games. We saw it last year with um, BC like swing in the series and we've seen it even Zaire in game two of the Golden State series, he swung a game. So you have, you're going to have your moment. So hopefully if he does have his moment, he's ready for that moment. But um, I was definitely happy to see Lofton hoop because I think he can be good. Like I think he's an NBA talent player. He just had to stir up his things. And that's the thing. People understand it's a process. Just because I'm saying this now doesn't mean I think that's what he's going to be in two, three years. I'm just simply saying it's a process. They understand there's a plan and vision for everybody. They had the same they had the same plan and vision for everybody else on this roster. Like I'm not saying he's John Contract, but they did the same thing. John Contract went from a two-way guy and he got a full contract. Kenny just got a full contract. Now, okay, let's see if he can work himself in the rotation. Especially if BC's not going to be there next year, potentially, or for most of the season, he got a maybe an opportunity, depending on how the offseason shakes out. So yeah, like I think Kenny's going he's got he's got a chance to play. He just got a hoop. So yeah. That's really it with Kenny. But, yeah, he played well. Zaire played well. Roddy played well. Um, so that was good for them to get those minutes, especially, I mean, nobody's really playing the game. Like, you know, nobody wants to get hurt. So, I mean, like, you don't want your main players to get hurt. So um, it was good to, for them to get them reps. Um, because even if they play, like, some G League guys, like, some of those guys are, like, real – had, like, real rotation minutes, like, for the Thunder. Like, they play – I'm not a lot, but they played, like, at least 20 minutes, 25 minutes at certain times when people was injured. So. You know, it's That's good. True. yeah, like like Jeremiah Robinson Earl, you know, like he's played like he's played some this season. It's not like that's a guy that just hasn't played at all. Uh yeah, exactly. like he's he's played 43 minutes this year and he's averaging like 19 a game in the games he plays. So it's not like this is a like they had some dudes that are in the rotation at times in there. Yeah, exactly. Right. But like for the Grizzlies, it was basically like everybody that was in the main Grizzlies rotation was out. Now, I know Luke Kennard was available, but he didn't play, right? Didn't so play. they kind of just had them. They just kind of had them there just in case. Uh, but, like, really the only guys that are in the – the only person – well, really none of these people have been in the roster, like, on uh, – in the rotation consistently besides John Conchar. Uh, maybe which, Roddy for, like, the last And, and well, but even Roddy hasn't – like, yeah, for the last month. But, like, he yeah, had too, a long yeah. stretch he, where he was not playing consistently either. Yeah, uh, but yeah. that brings us kind of to this last last part, which is where we are going to talk about the potential first round matchups for the Grizzlies, which I know both of us said we thought that they were going to play the Clippers. That was incorrect. We both thought that the Lakers were going to beat the Clippers on that one game. But I think that second night of the back to back, like I think it was just a little bit too much for LeBron and A.D., uh, just to like play they sold. Like, the second night. They sold. Yeah, they yeah. sold, man. They sold. So, That's what I'm gonna say. They sold. They sold. <laughs> it's either going to be the Lakers or the Timberwolves. Now, obviously, we're going to start with the Lakers. I think it's going to be the Lakers. Not to say that the Timberwolves don't have a chance, 
But especially now that Jaden McDaniels is going to be out, Rudy Gobert is getting suspended. But I actually think they might be better without Rudy. Like, maybe not for this matchup just because they got to go against Anthony Davis. So maybe not this particular matchup they'd be better without him. But they've been better offensively when Rudy's not on the court. And I think that's what they're really going to need in this game is they're going to have to outscore the Lakers. I think that's going to be the big thing in this game. Uh, they're going to need Ant and Carl Anthony Towns to just play out of their mind to win that playing game. But I'm still going to pick the Lakers in that playing game. I mean, they've got LeBron and Anthony Davis. Uh, as long as those two, those two guys are healthy, I think that against these other teams that are at the bottom half, you know, like even if they had played the Pelicans, if they had played the Thunder, any of those kind of teams, I would have picked them to come out of the play-in uh, just based on the fact that they have those two guys. Yeah. Um. Personally, I mean, again, like I said, Lakers sold, so it is what it is. But, I mean, I'm not worried. Like, obviously, the Lakers have certain things. Like, I, And, again, we already talked about it before on the earth, on pause before. Anybody in the Western Conference, at least probably two through 70, maybe one to eight, depending on how the matchup is, can get beat first round. Like, it's not saying it's going to happen, but it's always a possibility, obviously, especially into this NBA, like, just how close teams are, matchups. It's always about matchups in postseason. But, I mean, I was comfortable with whatever, but if you call, like, with the team, I'd maybe say the Lakers just because of the front court issues. You know, if we were healthy, I'd feel way finer, but just with our thin front court might be a problem. But, I mean, with either of these teams, I mean, I feel fine. Now, granted, I know, you know, you said Lakers. And, again, they they should win, right? You look, they should win the game. Jay McDaniels is out, like you said. Her Rudy's suspended. Like, they should win. But I wouldn't be surprised if Minnesota won only because they're better with one big. Usually when Rudy and Carl are together, they're not good. But one when you got one on the floor plus, like, Kyle Anderson and McDaniel, when McDaniel's playing or just, re, you know, regular roster, when they just playing one big, they're usually decent. They're probably actually better. So there could be a chance because, again, it's a one-off game. You know what I mean? So I don't want to just discredit Minnesota because we've seen it with the Grizzlies where most people probably thought that we was going to lose that playing game to the Golden State Warriors. What happened? We was 9 seed. We beat them. Like, you know what I mean? And we were separated for, like, a game. I'm pretty sure most people didn't expect us to win that game in, in Oracle. So, like, it's a one-off game. It's an NCAA type of tournament thing. If you have your worst game that game, you will go home. Like, depending on what game it is, you will go home. Or you will get, like, the seven or, you know, the eight seed, whatever. So, you know, that's just part of the, that's the nature of the, the, the play-in. So, I don't want to just discredit Minnesota. I would expect the Lakers to win. But, I mean, I feel comfortable in either matchup. For most for most reasons, but if we're talking Lakers, I do feel comfortable, just because I think defensively they're good, but offensively they not struggle. But I mean, it's still LeBron and AD, and then you got obviously good role players on that team. But the thing is, I don't know how, where they get in their consistent shooting from outside of Malik Beasley. And then if you can target Malik Beasley like we can, it's gonna be hard to play him. Like what lineups are they gonna play? Because they. Because their lineup, their best lineup probably, one of their best lineups is probably with Vanderbilt and AD on the floor defensively. But we've seen what we do with Vanderbilt last year. We don't guard him because he's not an offensive threat. So now you can just put Jaren in that Romer spot again and avoid the foul trouble with him. And then on top of that, depending on how you match up offensively, if you go Jaren at the five, I mean, depending on how that matchup is, AD's not really going to have the same rim presence if Jaren's out, you know, you know, pick, you know, pick and popping. That's just going to leave the floor open, especially. We didn't. We, I, I tweeted about it. It's probably going to be a go-to lineup. We're going to see Ja, Bain, Kennard, Dylan, Jaren. That's going to be a lineup, probably. That's probably going to be their go-to lineup. 
And we, based on the numbers with Bain and Kennard, we blow teams out usually. Like, that's a good lineup because they got to pick their poison. So I just don't, like, I feel comfortable. If obviously Jaren get in foul trouble, Josh stay healthy, Bain stay healthy, and they're scoring, like, I really feel fine. Like, I know Josh said we're fine. Like, I feel fine because I've seen what Josh does in the postseason. I know people are worried about what he did in the last two weeks. Listen, I mean, until I'm proven otherwise, Josh raises his level in playoff games or playing games. Whatever it is a playing game or postseason game, literally go look at the numbers. His, his level of play went up. It was consistent. He almost averaged 40 against the champions last year. And even in that round one, he was averaging like a triple double, damn near. Like, so he, and then but the year before, yeah, he had like 30. Like, Jaws him in the postseason. That's why I hold him in high regards in terms of these conversations. So, I mean, I feel fine either way. Um, it should be interesting to see how it works out. I mean, obviously, we see Lakers, but I mean, again, if we you know we see Minnesota, we'll talk about it next week, you know, because I think what game one will be played by it because we play yeah, Sunday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll play on Sunday. Uh, we don't yeah. know what time yet. It'll. I say we'll probably be a later game if we play the Lakers just because for that entire thing, uh, it'll just – they're going to want to put it in prime time, you know, just overall. I think that, that it'll definitely be later if we end up playing the Lakers, probably like that 6 or 7 p.m. slot. Like I think that's probably what they'll give them if they play yeah. the Lakers. If they play the Timberwolves, I'm not really sure. I know they played their first game last year kind of like midday on a Sunday too. So I guess we'll just kind of see what happens with that. Uh, but – just from a matchup standpoint, I still think the biggest thing in this series, really in any series, I think that if Jaron stays out of foul trouble, they're going to be fine, right? The biggest thing, especially with like a front court that has already had a lot of issues, if Jaron goes into foul trouble and now you're focusing on you need Santi X and then Kenneth Lofton Jr., which out of those three, the best offensive option you have is still Kenneth Lofton Jr. out of those guys. Now, on defense, you'd probably say Tillman. But either way, that's still going to be an issue if Jaron's in foul trouble. So this is going to be one of those where it's like Jaron is going to have to be smarter uh, and just stay out of foul trouble as much as he can. And on offense, they're going to have to make sure that they're kind of pulling AD out of the paint a little bit as much as they can. Not to say that he's just going to erase everything on the inside, but I think having a guy like Jaron that can force him to have to play on the perimeter a little bit uh, and can't really just camp in the paint is going to open it so open it up so much more for Ja, especially if they run like pick and roll with Ja and Jaron, because there is nobody on the Lakers that like, and I've talked to Lakers fans about it, and their biggest worry is they don't know if they have anybody that has the either the foot speed. Like, Jared Vanderbilt, I'd say, is probably the best defender in terms of, like, perimeter defense. But I don't think that he has the foot speed to stay with Ja. And then we saw last year in the postseason, I know he was mostly guarded by Patrick Beverly, but it's like the Timberwolves never went to that, and it didn't really work for them if they did whenever he got switched on to him. Uh, I mean, I know Ja had a couple bad games in that series, but it wasn't because Jared Vanderbilt was guarding him, right? Yeah, bad games in terms of shooting. In terms of shooting the ball, he had some bad games. Uh, but he still ended up having like 35 in that game five and everything like that. And then uh, also early this year, since since the trade deadline, when they got all these pieces and they added Malik Beasley and Jared Vanderbilt, they did have a game where Ja had 28 points in the third quarter. 
and it was all like no shots outside the paint. It was no three pointers. It was all rim running. And that's the one thing when people say, you know, uh, you know, Jaws going to struggle because he just rim runs and he has to go against Anthony Davis. Like he did the same thing against Anthony Davis and he had the best quarter uh, at the time. I think it was the highest scoring quarter anybody had had this season. I think it still is. He had 28 in the third. So there's that. And then we've also seen him go against, you know, Rudy Gobert when his first playoff series. Now, the Grizzlies lost that series, but Ja had a 47-point game. Ja, and then also Dylan Brooks had a really good game in terms of driving. Well, not just a game, a really good series in terms of driving to the basket in that series, too. So it's like, like we've seen them do this before. Like, we've seen them play against, like, a top-tier rim protector and still do good on the offensive end. They had more struggles defensively that year than anything against the Jazz because they just couldn't stop them from hitting threes. And that is another thing that I think also will help the Grizzlies is that the teams that have really beat them, especially on the road this year, it's been because of their inability to knock down threes and then stop people from shooting threes on the other end. That is the one thing about the Lakers is the Lakers are not really like a really good shooting team. They don't really have a lot of like top tier shooters. I know they got Malik Beasley and Malik Beasley's a solid shooter. But like, you know, like D'Lo can hit a three, but, you know, D'Lo is not consistent. Like D'Lo's inconsistent. Yeah. So he's streaky where he might have a game where he hits four and then he'll make none the next game. Like we saw that last year uh, in the series when he was with the Timberwolves where, you know, he had a couple good games and then it came down to that game five and game six and down the stretch you know he was shooting the ball off the backboard so it's like we've seen him go both ways like we've seen we've seen him go both ways and i say the same thing about dennis schroeder too we've seen him have good games and then we've also seen him like the last time that he played with the lakers in the playoffs when they played the suns a couple years ago where he was so bad that lakers fans were ready to get him out of there right like after game one of that series it felt like so it's like like they have guys that have done it before, but they also have a lot of guys who have not consistently played well, really outside of LeBron. I mean, Anthony Davis, when he plays his best, is one of the best players and is arguably like the most talented player, you know, in terms of size and all the things he can do in the whole league. Like you could make an argument that he is, but he's not that every single night. And I think that that's what they're going to need from him if they want to win, that's what the Lakers are going to need. They're going to need Anthony Davis to come out and play like a gangbuster. And that's going to be the thing. If, if Anthony Davis comes out and he plays awesome and LeBron does what he does and they get con- contributions from other guys, that's the way that they win. But they're going to need LeBron and AD to both be at their best. And I don't know. I, I don't know if they've been that like consistently since they've been together besides the bubble run. Yeah, well, my thing is this too is like where I've seen AD have crazy playoff series and lose the series like four two four one. Like I do, I think the Lake, I think people are not fooled, but I think the Lakers went from a middle tier playoff team or playing very, very about to miss the play to a middle of the pack good playoff team, and they've been better. And I think honestly they would have made that trade obviously sooner. They might be top five, you know, in the top six, whatever. But they still have the deficiencies. And also you have to think about Darvin Ham. He's a rookie coach. And while they are from him and Jenkins are from the same coaching tree with Coach Budenholzer, Ham is a is a you know a rookie coach. Like his first playoff as a head coach. It's different than being an assistant coach. Way different. Jenkins has had experience on his belt. And while I am a critical person of Jenkins, 
I saw him last year make adjustments that I didn't expect to see. And I expect him to keep those same adjustments. Like, he didn't have to take Adams out the start lineup. He did that. And he played his starters long. He took guys out of rotations that played, like, 70 games like Melton and didn't play him the whole series in the first round. Like, he's willing to go to those lengths in the playoffs. So I'm not necessarily worried about that. And like you said, with the defense, I mean, I'm not really worried off the simple fact, like, I, like Luke changes things. I know Luke – or Luke – and having Luke in bank changes things, but really Luke because he gives you that margin of error on the road to make up for what you were lacking back before post-trade or pre-trade deadline. And I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, I think we played what – we'll play two of those games after we got Luke. But still, I think the one game we lost was in L.A., and we barely lost that game. And I think Bain had his worst game of the – like, that's probably Bain's worst game in the last two weeks. Like, he was playing bad. And so, when you mm-hmm. consider all these outlier mm-hmm. things, like, even when you go back to that game when we played where John had, like, 28 in the third, Bain only had 16. I think Jaron even had foul trouble. You still won that game. And Luke only had, like, six points. So, when you really go into it, a lot of this is an outlier. And when you really break it down, it's like – and I know Bron didn't play, and Bron's going to definitely change it. Don't get it twisted. Now, I'm a – I, I, you know, I know, I respect Brian greatness, but it's a team thing, man. You, like we've seen it. Like you can't just have the better player. I know people say you use it when you have better players in the series, you win, and that's fair. You can say that, but even then, we are better team. Like we've seen better teams beat better players. Like we saw last year with it. Now Giannis and that team wasn't healthy. He was the best player in that series in that Bucks, um, Celtics series. But the better team, or well, more healthier team, won. Or you could argue they was the better team. Like, so ultimately, obviously that does matter. But in this situation, I think, you know, I just think the the Grizzlies, you have your best three players. And I understand that might be a hindrance against you if you're trying to win at the highest level championships. But when you got your best three players in the series, I'm not saying we shouldn't have excuse, you know, like you might make an excuse here and there too for certain things. Like you have to make up for stuff. But your best three players are playing. There's I feel very fine. Like you have a chance in any series to win when your best players are healthy because ultimately that's what it comes down to. Your best players playing their best. So if they, John, Jaron, and Bain play their best, they should win. They should win this in six. Personally, that's how I feel. They should win. If you play Minnesota or LA, you should win the series in six. Maybe it might go to seven. Either way, you should win the series. That's just how I feel. You should win the series. You should win the series. That's just me. That might just be yeah. me, but you should just win the series. That's how I feel. Unless. An injury happens, but even then, you know, yeah, like you know, to the top three, then maybe that changes things. But even then, if your best three players are healthy, you should win. All right, yeah, I feel the same way. But uh, I think that's all for this episode. We kind of went a little bit longer. There's a lot of stuff to talk about today. Uh, But thank you to everyone who listened to this week's episode of the Next Gen Podcast. Make sure to subscribe and become a Bluff City Media Insider. Uh, Please do that, BluffCityMedia.co. And until next week, we will see y'all. And next week, like we said, we will have playoff content. We will have the first game of whoever the Grizzlies play. So stay tuned. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Next Gen Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, leave a like and a comment wherever you download your podcasts. Head over to www.bluffcitymedia.co where you will find comprehensive coverage of all things Memphis sports and how you can become an insider. We'll see you back here next time.